You're listening to In My Father's House with our pastor and teacher, Mike Venezia, Senior Pastor of Harvest Christian Fellowship in New York City, New York. In my Father's house, there's a place for me. In my Father's house, where I long to be, oh, my heart will not be troubled. I remember what you said. Listen, this is the kind of stuff, think about it, if you don't have the right kind of perspective, that will absolutely wipe you out. Wipe you out. Because you know what? There's no rhyme or reason to it. There's no heads or tails, right? You can't figure it out. It, you're just left to your circumstances. You know, God help us. You know, one of the chief blessings of being a child of God is that we're never left to our circumstances. We're never just another statistic. Nobody likes being alone. Now, I don't mean having time to yourself or being able to get your own space. I mean having absolutely nobody to turn to when they need it. In today's message, Pastor Mike speaks about how we as Christians always have someone to turn to when the going gets tough, right? Jesus. No matter how big those struggles become or how far away from everyone else may feel, especially after a pandemic, Jesus is always there when you need him. Just ask. Now here's Pastor Mike in the book of Genesis chapter 45 as he begins his message, The Bigger Picture. I remember what you said, you returned that I might live in my Father's So Genesis 45, verses 1 through 9. And what this message is all about is to help us to see the bigger picture. You know, we often talk about, you know, giving our lives to Christ as a part of our conversion experience and God taking control of that life. But you know what? We're, we're not always cognizant of the fact or realize that God, in fact, has taken control when we've offered him our lives and he's working behind the scenes. And he has a very specific plan that he wants to accomplish in and through our lives. And that plan may differ from one person to another. But it's, you know what, it, sometimes we're not always aware of that work that God is doing behind the scenes. Well, that's what this message is all about, and thus the title, The Bigger Picture. So before we leave here this morning, it's my hope that we'll all kind of, you know, get a little bit of a, uh, an insight into the bigger picture of what God is doing within our lives. So let's, we have to go back a couple of weeks. Jacob has sent his sons, minus the youngest, whose name was Benjamin. Very good. Pop quiz. Okay. Uh, down to Egypt to purchase food during a grievous famine that had depleted all of their resources. Those sons of Jacob, Joseph's brothers, who had some 15 years ago betrayed him, sold him into slavery, told their father he had been killed by a wild animal, 
has now, through an unusual series of circumstances, has now become second only to Pharaoh himself, sort of like the prime minister in Pharaoh's, the king's cabinet, if you will, which was all a part of God's providence. Even the the betrayal of the brothers, his being thrown into a pit, uh, taken down to Egypt, sold on the slave block, purchased by a fellow whose name was Potiphar, Potiphar's wife seeking to seduce him, wrongfully accused of raping Potiphar's wife, the result of which he's thrown into prison. While he's there in prison, remember the king's cupbearer and baker dream these dreams. Joseph interprets them. Uh, Later on, Pharaoh has his own dream. And uh, the cupbearer, who has been restored once again to his position as a member of the king's a cabinet is reminded of Joseph, who's still in prison at that time, his abilities to be able to interpret dreams. He's summoned for by Pharaoh to interpret his dream. Remember the, the dream of the, uh, the seven years of plenty followed by the seven years of famine. Joseph counsels Pharaoh that uh, during the seven years of plenty to store up the food so that they'll have food enough during the seven years which were to follow, the seven years of famine, uh, the result of which were, was that not only was Egypt able to be sustained uh, during that period of time, but all of the other nations had come down also to Egypt to purchase uh, food. So truly, all a part, even the bad things that happened to Joseph, all a part of God's providence. And now his brothers, as they've gone down themselves to purchase the food down in Egypt, are standing before Joseph, who up until this point has disguised himself, is speaking through an interpreter to his brothers, and has been dealing with them extremely harshly, all of which was a part of God's plan and God's design. Joseph really is nothing more than an instrument through which God is using uh, to bring Joseph's brothers to repentance. How important was that to God? Well, as I've already mentioned, remember those brothers were to become the 12 tribes of Israel, the nation of Israel, which ultimately would come the Messiah, the Savior of the world, our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. So it was extremely important to God to bring these fellows around, to bring them to repentance, to bring them back into a relationship with himself so that all of these things could be accomplished. And so we've been going through this step by step by step. So anyway, with that said now, okay, we come now to our text, chapter 45, and in verse 1 we read, Then Joseph could not restrain himself before all those who stood by him, and he cried out, Make everyone go out from me. And so no one stood with him while Joseph made himself known to his brothers. And he wept aloud, and the Egyptians in the house of Pharaoh heard it. Then Joseph said to his brothers, I am Joseph. Does my father still live? But his brothers could not answer him, for they were dismayed in his presence. So obviously they didn't know, these brothers didn't know how Joseph was going to respond. You know, whether or not he was going to, uh, uh, you know, Uh, seek revenge upon his brothers for what they had done to him some 15 years ago when he was betrayed and sold into 
uh, slavery. And Joseph said to his brothers, please come near to me, probably very reluctantly. Uh, And so they came near. Then he said, I am Joseph, your brother, whom you sold into Egypt. But now do not therefore be grieved or angry with yourselves because you sold me here. For God sent me before you to preserve life. That is during the seven years of famine. For these two years, the famine has been in the land and there are still five years in which there will be neither plowing nor harvesting. And God sent me. Notice the perspective. Remember the big picture. Joseph gets it. He sees the big picture. He understands the big picture. He says there, and God has sent me before you to preserve a posterity for you in the earth and to save your lives by a great deliverance. So now it was not you who sent me here, but God. And he has made me a father to Pharaoh and the Lord of all of his house and a ruler throughout all the land of Egypt. Hurry and go up to my father, Jacob, and say to him, thus saith your son Joseph, God has made me Lord of all Egypt. Come down to me and do not tarry. First of all, an observation. You know, concerning Joseph, who, my goodness, he, he sort of becomes his own series within this Genesis series, within this origin series. We've been taking a look at and considering this man's life for the last several months, right? I mean, think about it. We were introduced to him uh, several chapters ago, but he served up all of these wonderful lessons for us, and, uh, and rightfully so. But one of the most distinguishing features of Joseph's life and character was his capacity, his ability to be able to relate everything that was going on in his life unto God. You see, God was constantly in his thoughts. In fact, there was hardly a sentence that Joseph uttered without the name of God being mentioned. Let me give you a couple of cross-references to validate that claim. When Potiphar's wife sought to seduce Joseph, back in Genesis chapter 39, you remember in verse 9 we read there, Joseph responded by her, through, uh, because of her advances and said, how can I do this great wickedness and sin against God. There's the name of God. In prison, when told of the dreams of the chief cupbearer and baker, in Genesis chapter 40, in verse 8, he responds by declaring to them, do not interpretations belong to God. There's the name of God once again. Later on, in interpreting Pharaoh's dream, which is recorded for us in chapter 41, in verses 16, and then again in verse 25, Joseph declares, as he's standing before Pharaoh now, God will give Pharaoh an answer of peace. Verse 25, God has shown Pharaoh what he is about to do. Again, the name of God mentioned. In naming his sons, Manasseh and Ephraim, In chapter 41, in verses 51 and 52, Joseph called the name of the firstborn Manasseh. For God, there's the name, God, for God has made me forget all my toil and all my father's house, which is exactly what the name Manasseh indicates. And then in verse 52, the second son, 
And the name of the second he called Ephraim. Why? Because the name Ephraim indicates, for God has caused me to be fruitful in the land of my affliction. Okay? And then now, let's go back to our text here in chapter 45. In verse 5, the latter part of verse 5, Joseph declares, for God did send me before you to preserve life. And so in all of those cross-references, the mentioning of God. You see, Joseph had this wonderful, most important ability to relate everything that was going on, everything that happened to him, to God. And here in our text this morning, it's so evident. Notice, go back to chapter 45 and verses 5 through 9. It's all God, 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 the name of God. Okay, so why am I even mentioning this? Why am I drawing this to your intention? Why is this so important? Well, because by looking past secondary causes to God, who is the first cause, Joseph gained a stabilizing perspective upon his life. And when you consider all of the variables, all of the things that would cause us great confusion in our life's experience, how important is this? As life so often throws us a curve, right? You see, when Joseph looked past the first cause, uh, rather the secondary causes to God, who is the first cause, it had a stabilizing effect upon Joseph. He achieved a frame of mind out of which he was able to forgive and reassure his brothers. You see, this kind of perspective should be held by all Christians. How many times have we you know, come to the wrong conclusion. All of these things are working against us. You know, things that we didn't expect. Uh, people turning against us, talking behind our backs, saying some unkind things about us uh, that may not even be true. You know, how many times have we been in that kind of a situation? And our immediate response is, you know, these things are working against me. Rather than seeing it as part of the bigger picture of what God is doing and allowing to come into our lives. You know, it, it keeps us you know, from uh, despair and, and discouragement and confusion. And so this kind of perspective should be held by all Christians. That is the bigger picture. And how important it is to see God working behind the scenes. Because you know what? It makes life so much more meaningful. Isn't that true? And what a profound insight into all that's going on around us. We just see the hand of God. And we could just rest in that. It, 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 so, it would be so much easier to just, you know, have faith in God that he's doing something and that all of these things are for my benefit and not working against me. Now listen, let me also add, just to balance this out, this is not wishful thinking on Joseph's part. This is not, you know, Christians' heads in the clouds kind of a thing, which uh, often Christians are, you know, this is the way that they would make mention of them, or accused Christians. Oh, you Christians, you just, you know, your heads are in the clouds. You know, you don't see things as they really are. 
listen, Joseph knew that he had experienced much evil. I mean, as we've been tracing the life of Joseph over these last couple of months, you know, Joseph never was in that funk where I'm not going to confess what's going on in my lives. I'm not going to confess that my brothers betrayed me. I'm not going to confess that I'm sitting here in this ditch that my brothers had just thrown me into. I'm not going to confess that, you know, these Midianite traders that are going down into Egypt to sell their uh, wares are going to take me and place me on the slave block and I'm going to be sold as, I'm not going to confess those things. You know, how crazy is that? You know, so many Christians, you know, bad things happen to them and they won't confess it. This can't possibly be happening to me. I'm a child of God. No, this is not some, you know, Christian with their heads in the clouds. I'm not going to confess what's really going on within my life. Joseph knew that he was unreasonably hated, that he was enslaved, that he was falsely accused of rape by Potiphar's wife that he was wrongly imprisoned by Potiphar himself. Listen, this is the kind of stuff, think about it, if you don't have the right kind of perspective, that will absolutely wipe you out. Wipe you out. Because you know what? There's no rhyme or reason to it. There's no heads or tails, right? You can't figure it out. You're just left to your circumstances. You know, God help us. You know, one of the chief blessings of being a child of God is that we're never left to our circumstances. We're never just another statistic. You know, what may be happening to other people who don't have that hope of being a child of God, you know, for them it's just a roll of the dice. It's just the luck of the draw, really. And, uh, but with Christ, there's always a purpose. And we need to have that perspective. It's so very, very important. And if we don't, those things will just wipe you out. They'll make you absolutely crazy. But let me also add that in this, although all of these evil things had come upon Joseph, Joseph never viewed them as God being the author of evil. Now, this is very important that we understand this. He did know that all of these things were working out a part of God's providence within his life, that God was using these things. But God was not the author of evil, nor can he be the author of evil. Rather, simply, God was in charge, even of the wicked designs and evil deeds of man, so that his purposes are accomplished and not theirs. I'll give you a couple of examples of this. Probably the one of the most extreme examples of this is Job, who suffered many things certainly he didn't deserve. Think about it. He lost seven sons and three daughters who were wiped out when the house in which they were dining collapsed. Just in a moment, just totally wiped out, taken away from them. Could you imagine that for those of us who are parents? What a tragedy that would be. Seven sons and three daughters. The roof collapsed on them and all of them perished in that collapse. On another occasion, all of his possessions were taken away from him. The desert raiders who carried away Job's oxen and sheep, the Babylonian bandits on another occasion who stole away Job's camels. He himself was afflicted with great physical sickness. Remember, at another period, he was covered from head to toe, with these boils. 
and suffering greatly. At one point in the book of Job, we are told that he even regretted the day that he had been born. And in all this, he hadn't the slightest indication, think about this, that any of this was for a meaningful purpose or for good. In fact, his closest friends were counseling him, even his wife. Think about this. Man, you know, what a woman to be married to. She says, curse God and die. That's great counsel, man. You know, curse God. Why don't you just curse God and die? You know, great counsel. What a great woman to be married to, right? Yet don't forget this story begins with the scene in heaven, showing that God was in charge of what was happening and was limiting what was happening to Job. You see, it was God who initiated Job's test by calling Satan's attention to Job's godly character. That's where it all began. In the book of Job, in chapter 1, in verse 8, and uh, let me give this to you in context. The Bible tells us that the sons of men were presenting themselves before God. And this is just another way to describe the angels. I don't know why exactly they're referred to as the son of men, but the angelical hosts on this particular occasion are presenting themselves before God. I don't know exactly what's going on, but they're having these conversations with God and, and uh, before the throne of God. And on this particular occasion, Lucifer happens to be one of those angelical hosts that's present. And so God saw fit to begin to brag upon his servant, Job. God, please, don't brag about me. <laughs> Not that there's much to brag about, but that was the thing that began this whole thing unfolding. So anyway, with that said, then the Lord said to Satan, have you considered my servant Job, that there is none like him on the earth, a blameless and upright man, one who fears God and shuns evil. Now listen, this was God's estimation of Job. This wasn't Job bragging about himself, right? Or having some kind of a moment, you know, a feel-good moment or whatever, uh, a super-ego moment, if you will. This was God's estimation of his servant, Job, which would have been absolutely uh, true. So this is where this whole thing began to unfold. As God was calling uh, Satan's attention to Job's godly character. You see, in this story, we learn that God had a purpose in Job's suffering. And yes, it was an extreme example of this, but God was demonstrating to the devil and his hosts, but not only to them, but also to us. Think about it. God is demonstrating that love for God does exist apart from the benefits people get from the relationship with God. The Lord giveth and the Lord taketh away. That was his testimony. In my Father's house There's a place for me In my Father's house Where I long been listening to Pastor Mike Fenizio here on In My Father's House. He is working his way through the book of Genesis. If you were blessed by today's message and want to pass along the blessing, you can find a link to give to the ministry on our website, harvestnyc.org. We have so much available to you there, 
including many audio messages and links to streamed messages. We stream every Sunday and Thursday service. Once again, that's harvestnyc.org. Another way to pass along the blessing is to share the messages with someone else. Maybe God put someone on your heart today as you listened. You can send them the links as well. In My Father's House is a ministry out of Harvest Christian Fellowship in Midtown Manhattan, New York City. We're easy to find, with access from Port Authority on 42nd and Penn Station on 34th. Come by and see us. But if you're from another part of the country or world, we'd love to know. Please send us a quick note at harvestnyc at verizon.net. That's harvestnyc at verizon.net. It's a great encouragement to Pastor Mike and the team at In My Father's House to hear where these messages are being listened to. There is nothing more beautiful than the global body of Christ. If you'd like to hear more, subscribe to our podcast for daily doses of the word. Just go to Spotify and search for In My Father's House with Mike Venizio. And then just click follow. Well, we have filled our time for today. Come back and see us again, because there's no better place to be than In My Father's House with you.